So the reading starting Genesis chapter 24, verse 1, page 18 of the Bibles, if you've got one on your way in. Abraham was now old, getting on in years, and the Lord had blessed him in everything. Abraham said to his servant, the elder of his household, who managed all he owned, place your hand under my thigh, and I'll have you swear by the Lord, God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but will go to my land and my family to take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is unwilling to follow me to this land. Should I have your son go back to the land you came from? Abraham answered him, Make sure that you don't take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, who spoke to me and swore to me, I will give this land to your offspring. He will send an angel before you, and you can take a wife uh, for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to follow you, then you are free from this oath to me. But don't let my son go back there. So the servant placed his hand under his master Abraham's thigh and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. The servant took ten of his master's camels and departed with all kinds of his master's goods in hand. Then he set out for Nahor's town, Aram Naharaim. He made the camels kneel beside a well of water outside the town at evening. This was the time when the women went out to draw water. Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. I am standing here at the spring where the daughters of the men of the town are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water jug so that I may drink, and who responds, drink and I'll water your camels also. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Today when I came to the spring, I prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if only you will make my journey successful. I am standing here at a spring. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jug, and who responds to me, drink and I'll draw water for your camels also. Let her be the woman the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished praying silently, there was Rebecca coming with her jug on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. So I said to her, please let me have a drink. She quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and said, drink and I'll water your camels also. So I drank and she also watered the camels. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She responded, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. Then I bowed down, worshipped the Lord, and praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who guided me on the right way to take the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now if you are going to show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me, and I will go elsewhere. Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We have no choice in the matter. Rebekah is here in front of you. Take her and go, and let her be a wife for your master's son, just as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed to the ground before the Lord. Then he brought out objects of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious gifts to her brother and her mother. Then he and the men with him ate and drank and spent the night. 
When they got up in the morning, he said, send me to my master. But her brother and mother said, let the girl stay with us for about 10 days, then she can go. But he responded to them, do not delay me since the Lord has made my journey a success. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, let's call the girl and ask her opinion. They called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She replied, I will go. So they sent away their sister Rebecca with the one who had nursed and raised her and Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebekah, saying to her, Our sister, may you become thousands upon ten thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her female servants got up, mounted the camels, and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac was returning from Beer Roy, for he was living in the Negev region. In the early evening, Isaac went out to walk in the field, and looking up, he saw camels coming. Rebecca looked up, and when she saw Isaac, she got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? So the servant answered, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah and took Rebecca to be his wife. Isaac loved her, and he was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. It'd be great if you can keep that open. Um, I've just been in Darwin last weekend, uh, which was a great time, um, and as we were flying home, uh, coming back into Sydney, there was a fair bit of um, turbulence, and I got, a, I got a bit worried. I'm not much of a flyer, um, but the woman sitting next to me, she was really worried. <laughs> the whole trip, for just takeoff and landing, she just kind of sat there, closed her eyes, and gripped kind of the sides of the seat, and then while we were in the air, she just sipped vodka the whole way. Uh, but it got me thinking, why do we worry so much? We worry about a great many things, don't we? And we do a fair bit of it. Why do we worry so much? Why are we so concerned that things won't turn out well? Why do we get so anxious and fearful? Is it that we think no one's got their hands on the wheel? Or perhaps we we know God's got his hands on the wheel, but we're concerned about his character. Is he actually kind? That's the question I actually want to push tonight. The question of God's character. Is he kind? That's actually the question that our passage puts before us as well. Is he kind? Will he make things turn out well for us? Is he faithful? And if he is, why do we worry so much? I, for one, um, could do with just chilling out a bit. But can I? Is God kind? Is he faithful? Of course, you won't be surprised to hear the answer is yes, of course he is. But we doubt that. And we need to be regularly reminded. And that's exactly what this story does for us tonight. Uh, Just before we dive into it, though, I just want to give one tip for reading Genesis. And that is this. Genesis is not about you, first of all. Genesis is actually all about God's great promises, his promised blessing for the whole world. And after that, it's for you. It's for us because it's about that. I say that because so many people read this passage as kind of a how to find a spouse manual or kind of a, uh, you know, uh, marriage guidance story. Um, Of course, it has something something to say about all those sorts of things, but only because... It has something much, much bigger 
to say within which marriage and whatnot fits. Because this passage, this uh, beginning of our Bible, this, this uh, book, Genesis, is about a promise of God to restore all things, to set this world and these people right. We know things have gone wrong. We're not like we ought to be. Our world is not as it ought to be. God has made this promise that he will bless it and set it right and set us right as well through Abram's son, Jesus, our Messiah. But back to our question, will God keep that promise? Will he be kind and faithful and keep that promise? Because there's a problem. There's a blockage in the promise, and that is our first point this evening. There's a blockage in the promise. Uh, God's made this incredible promise to Abraham. Uh, Part of the promise is he's going to have a great family. Another part of the promise is he's going to bless the whole world through that great family. But there's a blockage. You see, how's that going to happen if his son doesn't have a wife? How's the promised blessing going to keep moving forward without a wife and a mother to make the nation grow and and the blessing to move forward? Uh, So Abraham's last act uh, is that he has to sort that out. He's got to arrange a way to pass on the blessing baton to his son. And so like we heard, he tells his servant to go and get a wife for Isaac, his son. But it's not that straightforward. Let's look at chapter 24 and verse 3. He says, I will have you swear by the Lord, God of heaven and earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. Don't, don't, you can't just go out and get any old woman. You see, he doesn't want to do what happened with Hagar not so long ago. That ended up quite a mess. And so, reading on from verse 5, the servant said to him, Suppose the woman is unwilling, so sorry, you have to go back to my homeland and get one of my people, says Abraham. And the servant says, Suppose the woman is unwilling to follow me to this land. I mean, I'm some random guy turning up and I want to take your daughter to marry some guy you've never met. Suppose it doesn't work out. Just thinking. Should I have your son go back to the land you came from? That might help. But here we actually get a glimpse into Abraham's mature faith. He doesn't want to see God's promises go backwards out of the promised land. And so he says, verse 6, make sure that you don't take my son back there. Well, how's it going to work then? Abraham is sure the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land and spoke to me and swore to me, I will give you this this land to your offspring. He will send his angel before you and you can take a wife from my son from there. It'll work. There's his confidence, and so he makes his servant put his hand under his thigh. It's a bit weird. Make a testy swear, I think you call it. It's like a pinky swear, but a bit more serious, I think. Something like that. Anyway, I thought it was a bit strange. It's a special uh, kind of, I think that it's relating to, to offspring is clearly what's going on there. To, and he swears that he will do it. Well, 
this could seem like a totally random story about some old guy who wants to have grandkids. But we need to remember that if Abraham doesn't get a wife for his son, we're all going to hell. And our world is going to languish under the sway of evil. It's a serious problem, a serious blockage. And throughout the rest of the Bible story, we're actually going to see loads of blockages that threaten to stop God's promised blessing from moving forward to the world. And in fact, as we go, what's going to become clearer is exactly what that blockage is. And the blockage is actually much worse than anyone ever thought. Because it turns out as you go on, the blockage to God's blessings moving forward is us. It's people, it's Israel, it's our sin. It's like when you think you've got a tree root stuck in your sewer. But actually it turns out you're in the sewer. It's much worse than we ever thought. Israel's sin has actually blocked the promised blessing from making progress and going out to all the world. And then our sin has blocked our relationship with God so that we're at a distance from him. We're kind of shut out. Our world languishes away from God without hope, without any real knowledge about how we ought to live in this crazy world, without any sense of his love for us. That's the blockage. And yet Abraham looks at the blockage and he is confident that God can sort it out. And so our second point, he sends his servant off to Aram of the two rivers uh, to go wife hunting with a massive dowry. And the servant goes to the appropriate place, to the local kind of pickup area. He kind of hangs out at the well in early evening. It's a good place to go if you want to find a woman. Um, It's kind of puts a new meaning on the local watering hole. Um, And he prays. This is kind of what I want to focus on in this point. It's a very ambitious prayer, isn't it? Verse 13. He prays, I'm standing here at the spring where the daughters of the men of the town are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water jug so that I may drink, and who responds, drink, And I'll water your camels also. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. Now, he's quite specific, isn't he? He's like, the modern equivalent is like, God, the next person who emails me on eHarmony, and I write back, what's your favorite music? And they say, South American trance reggae, let them be the one. He's quite specific. It's a challenge, isn't it? Isn't it a challenge to God to provide? Check out the beginning, how he begins in verse 12. He says, Lord, God of my father Abraham, you're the one who's made promises to my master Abraham. Give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. That's that's the challenge. Will you show kindness to my master Abraham. And there weren't kindness there. It sounds very kind of, I don't know what the right word is, 
it's a bit bland, kind, like kind of friendly to some random guy. That's not what's going on. The word kindness is this deep, committed, loving kindness. God, I'm challenging you to show that deep, committed, loving kindness to Abraham. And if you do it, if you, if you pass this test, God, and pass my challenge, then I'll know at the end of verse 14, by this will I know that you have shown kindness to my master. That's the challenge. God, will you show it? Are you really kind? Are you really kind of committed and lovingly kind to my master Abraham? And that's our question too, isn't it, friends? In all the kind of daily worries of our lives, which we have so many of, is God kind? Is he really committed to us, to being lovingly kind? Is he going to keep his promises to us? But, but maybe bigger than that, remembering that Genesis isn't first about us, the bigger question is, Will he be kind and keep his promise to this whole world? This whole world that's languishing in sin and languishing away from God. Will he be kind and committed and loving to our world and to us? What's God like? Well, in our third point, we get a pretty clear answer to that question. Let's read on. I really love this bit from verse 15. Before he had even finished speaking, there was Rebecca. Oh my goodness, there she is. Could she be the one? Rebecca, daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. Oh my goodness, she's one of Abraham's people. That's exactly who we were looking for. It's just like that. Will God show his kindness to Abraham? Oh, yeah, instantly. Bang, that's it. Now, you might be thinking, that's a bit of an anticlimax. This guy doesn't know how to tell a story. And actually, I think he he sacrifices narrative um, suspense just to make the answer straight out clear. Will God provide? Oh, yeah, instantly. But we're actually meant to be reading this story, I believe, through the eyes of this servant. And he doesn't know that news yet. He doesn't know who Rebecca is. He's just seen a good-looking lass come out with a water jar on her shoulder. And so, verse 17, he puts his test, his challenge, into action. Verse 17, the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me have a little water from your jug. There's the test. The challenge is out there. How is she going to respond? Verse 18, she replied, Drink, my lord. She quickly lowered her jug to her hand and gave him a drink. Great. Strike one. This is good. She's check. But is she going to offer the camels some water? When she'd finished giving him a drink, she said, "I'll uh, I'll also draw water for your camels until they've had enough to drink. She quickly emptied her jug into the trough and hurried to the well again to draw water. She drew water for all his camels, while the man silently watched her to see whether or not the Lord had made his journey a success. After the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel uh, and for her wrists two bracelets weighing ten, ten shekels of gold. This is the last 
the last stage of the challenge. Please tell me, oh, sorry, whose daughter are you? He asked. Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, whom she bought in a hall. She also said to him, we have plenty of straw and feed for a pl- and, a, uh, sorry, and a place for you to spend the night. And that's the challenge. Completed. She perfectly completes the challenge. And now uh, the servant knows exactly what we know, and he's stoked. And I kind of uh, finish reading this bit, and I think, wow, isn't Rebecca a lovely young lass? Isn't she well-mannered? She must have had good parents. But that's not right. What we're meant to be thinking is, wow, God provides. God's actually absolutely come to the party and shown how kind he is, how committed he is to Abraham. And he hasn't just provided, has he? He's not just kind of given the bare bones. Now that'll do. Here you go, Abraham, that'll get you by. Actually, God's provision for Abraham is instant and lavish. Did you pick it up as we were reading verse 15? Before he'd even finished speaking. It's, it's instant. And then verse 18, she replied, drink, my Lord. She quickly lowered her jug. She's willing. And verse 19, I'll, I'll draw, also draw water for your camels until they've had enough to drink. I don't know how many camels there were, but they can drink over 100 liters each. <laughs> she, she must be quite fit as well. Verse 20. She quickly emptied her jug to the, uh, into the trough and hurried to the well again to draw water. And then verse 23. Ple- uh, sorry, not verse 23, verse 25. We have plenty of straw and feed and a place to spend the night. This is God's lavish provision. The question is, is God going to be kind? The answer is, oh man, yeah. He's going to lay the spread. You know, he's, yes. Friends, our world is in real need of God to deal with sin and the brokenness of this place. So that God's blessing might actually move forward out into our world. So that we might actually have that blockage taken away and we could know God's love for us and know friendship and intimacy with him. But is God going to do it? He promised that blessing through Abraham, through Israel. Is he going to do it? Absolutely. That's the answer. Absolutely. We've seen it here and he has not changed. He sent his son, Jesus as the entirely faithful son of Abraham. And through him, that blockage was taken away. He took our sin upon himself at the cross and took it away to hell. And then he rose up in new life, holding forth this promised blessing to the world. And he invites us to take hold of that blessing. A new start, an unblocked relationship with God, where we really know him. We're good with him. We can be relaxed with God. We know how to live. We have a hope for the future, for a new creation. God has provided, friends. And he hasn't just given us just enough, has he? He hasn't given us the kind of, you know, no extras cover insurance or anything. 
He hasn't given us the base model car. You know, the one with no air conditioning, no seats, just gets you from A to B very uncomfortably. God provides lavishly through his son. Before this servant had even finished praying, there was Rebecca. Friends, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I often find myself kind of troubled or something, and I turn to the Lord in prayer. And before I've even finished praying, there's Jesus. And he's everything. I'm reminded of the Lord Jesus, who he is and what he's done and what he says to me. I'm feeling judged by people, by the world, by, by myself, by God. And I'm praying and, and there's Jesus saying, have courage. Your sins are forgiven. I'm feeling unloved and I'm praying. And then there's Jesus and he says, no man has greater love than this, that he'd give up his life for his friends. And I've done that for you, Dan. You're my friend. I feel lonely. No one understands. And there's Jesus saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. I feel purposeless, insignificant. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Therefore you, Dan, go and make disciples of all nations. I don't know how to live. I don't know exactly what to do next. And here he is saying, take up your cross, follow me daily. I feel hopeless. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and who was and who is coming, the Almighty. Behold, I am coming. Jesus has every angle covered for me, friends, every blessing. Through Jesus, God has lavishly provided for us, brothers and sisters. He is God's kindness. He is God's faithfulness to us. So that through Jesus, God's promised blessing doesn't just move forward through a little blockage. It arrives. It's achieved. It's fulfilled. And he says, take hold of it. Trust me. If you don't yet have Jesus and know these, this blessing and have the anticipation of it for the future, can I encourage you to look into Jesus? Talk to someone here about that. You won't regret it. But I want to finish, um, not quite, but with, with three ways of responding to God's kindness, which really kind of roll into two. And the first is this, worship. Uh, this servant teaches us how we ought to respond to God's kindness. Would you look at verse 26 with me? Then the man bowed down, worshipped the Lord, and said, Praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not withheld his kindness and faithfulness from my master as for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to my house, uh, the house of my master's relatives. This is all God. All glory to be to him. He hasn't withheld his kindness and faithfulness to Abraham. And friends, he hasn't withheld his kindness and faithfulness to our world or to, to us individually. How much more ought 
we bow and worship. The second response, I think, is that we ought to recall. Does anyone notice how long this chapter is? It's very long. It's the longest chapter in Genesis about quite a random kind of story, isn't it? Why is that? Wouldn't it be, uh, I mean, it would have made just as much sense, wouldn't it, if we just got, chapter 24, Abram got a wife for Isaac. Good. Chapter 25. What, we, what would we miss if that happened? Like in chapter, in verses 34, right through to 48, he just tells the same story all over again. Was that necessary? Well, um, here's a tip again for Bible reading. Airtime uh, is proportional to importance, right? This is pretty important, what's being talked about here. In fact, this is central to the message of Genesis and the Bible. What's the message? God will keep his promise. He will bring blessing to his world through Abraham. There's nothing that's going to stand in his way, so trust him. That's why this gets so much airtime. And it's actually told to us through this servant. We can't identify with Abraham and Isaac, these crazy, famous dudes. We can identify with his servant. And we, we learn with him. We are convinced with him of God's incredible kindness and faithfulness. And so it's repeat, repeated and underlined, isn't it? Verse 48, did you catch it in verse 48? When he's retelling his story, the servant says, Then I bowed down, worshipped the Lord, and praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who guided me on the right way to take the granddaughter of my master's uh, brother for his sons. This is all the Lord's provision, he says. Friends, this recalling that keeps happening in this chapter, this is actually worship. A lot of what Israel did in worship was just recall. Recall what God has done. That's what we ought to do. Recall the incredible things God has done for us, his faithfulness and kindness. We do that as we gather in church. We ought to do that in private. Recall in worship and praise to God what he's done. We do that on Facebook. We do that on the phone. We do that through communion as we just did before. We don't have anything particularly new to say to God. He hasn't done anything hugely new that, we're, that we kind of praise him for, more than the fact that he has redeemed us, rescued us, kept his promise. And so we put new words, new songs, new acts of service in worship, in recalling what Jesus has done for us. That's how we respond. We recall. But finally, um, in terms of response, we get on board, we get involved. See, at the end of the servant's uh, account that he makes to, to Laban uh, to, um, and Bethuel, he concludes with this appeal, verse 49. He's just been saying about how God has been faithful and kind, and then he says, verse 49, Now if you are going to show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me, and I'll go elsewhere. You see, God's doing this work. The question is, are you going to get involved with what God's doing? Well, 
Do they? Absolutely. Laban and Bethuel are helpless. Verse 50, Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We have no choice in the matter. Rebecca is here in front of you. Take her and go. Now let her be a wife for your master's son, just as the Lord has spoken. And then Rebecca, verse 58, they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She replied, I'll go. So they sent away their sister, Rebecca, with the one who had nursed and raised her, and Abraham's servant and his men. See, they've acknowledged that this is clearly God's great work. Who were they to stand in the way of it? So in fact, they get involved with it instead. God is fulfilling his great promise. It's happening through them. What a, what a blessing. God is keeping his promise to the world through Rebecca. She gets involved. Don't stand in the way. They get involved. And friends, this is exactly our privilege, isn't it? There is one great thing happening in our world at the moment, and that is God is bringing in his kingdom, the kingdom of his son. He's moving forward this great promise which has been achieved. And it's our privilege to get involved in that, isn't it? He calls us to get involved. Evil and sin will be swallowed up. The world will be restored. Every knee will bow to King Jesus, our wonderful King. And our privilege is to be part of that work. You know, Laban and Bethuel, they recognized that this was God's great work. And they said to this servant, dude, you are blessed to be involved in this. Blessed just like Abraham's blessed. Friends, it's, our, it's part of the blessing that we get involved. That we speak for Jesus. That we live for Jesus. That we consider new acts of service of somehow getting the kingdom of Jesus out there. Growing, spreading. Kind of like we did today at this World Cup. So many ways to do it. Get involved. Well, we've had a few stories already from Genesis, haven't we? We were into week, what are we, four of our Genesis series. And we've had some pretty sorry, sordid stories, haven't we? Abraham kind of pimping his wife off. A bit weird. It'll actually get worse, I'm sorry to tell you. But this story ends well, doesn't it? Happy ending. Rebecca is approaching on the camel in the kind of soft light of evening. Isaac's kind of having a ponder and a wander in the fields. And he looks up and sees the camels approaching. Rebecca looks up and sees Isaac. She kind of slides off a camel and says, who's this man? The servant says, uh, he's your guy. Ooh, how exciting. She puts her veil on. And without more than a how do you do, they get married and fall in love in the traditional order. Married and fall in love. And God, in his grace, opens Rebecca's barren womb and allows that blessing to continue. Our sister, may you become thousands upon ten thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. And the Lord provides, he answers. It's a happy ending. And friends, your ending will be too. The story ends well. And by that I don't mean you're going to meet a spouse. Or all your dreams are going to come true. 
You might meet a spouse and it doesn't end well. You know? Your dreams may not come true. But that's not the point. That's not what this passage is about. What it is about is so much better, so much bigger, so much more global. Friends, the Lord, will he set his world to right? Will he set you right before God in context of the whole universe? Will you be right, righteous, restored? Absolutely. Because the Lord is kind, deeply, committedly, lovingly kind. He keeps his promises. He will restore this world and you with it. He started to do that already in the Lord Jesus. His love never changes. He stays the same through the ages. His love never fails. So, can we chill out a bit? Can we relax? I'd like to think so. Only as we keep our eyes fixed on him. We're going to do that as we sing our next song, and I'm going to uh, pray for us that we might do that as well. Let's pray. Oh God, you're so gracious and kind to us. Lord, you keep your promises. You're faithful. Father, would you help us to actually trust that? We know it. We see it. It's right here in this story. May we actually trust it. May we remember it day by day. May we recall it, Lord, to each other and to ourselves. Father, may we get involved in your work. May we see this blessing spread to your glory. And Father, would you help us relax as we trust you? Amen.